Welcome to Oak City Church, a family of learners, lovers, and givers sent. For more information, visit us online at oakcitychurch.com. Let us know if we can help you in any way. Thank you for listening. Well, good morning. Thank you for tuning in to Oak City Church. Uh, Again, this morning, if you're visiting with us, we're really glad that you're here. Uh, We'd love to get to know you. And hope to see you sometime soon. It actually is not good morning uh, for me. It is good Thursday afternoon because I'm pre-recording my sermon. This is the first time we've done this for a Sunday. Jake told me a few weeks ago that he was going to do it uh, so that he could do some mixing with the audio and play around with that. And also so he could be home with Becca for Mother's Day. And I thought, man, I could be home for Mother's Day. This is the first time that's ever happened. So right now I am at home watching me. Uh, maybe, which honestly is a little bit weird. When Jake did, when we pre-recorded the Good Friday service, we got on a Zoom prayer call right after that, and Jake hopped on it, and I was like, Jake, did you just lead yourself in worship? And he's like, yeah, I did, and it was really strange. So I honestly might not be watching myself right now because I know what I'm going to say. And right now I am completely alone in this room. It's just me this week, and I feel like that scene uh, from The Martian with Matt Damon when he's on Mars and trying to make potatoes and he's talking into that camera, talking about what he's going to do and about how they'll come to fear his botany powers. And he feels like he will never see people again. And that's a little bit what I feel like. But but that's not the case. We know that. And actually, so Sam put some pictures up here. So I've got some friendly faces on the seats in front of me uh, that I can see. And we're, we'll, it'll, be, it'll be a while, but we'll come out of this. And we're working on trying to figure out the phases and what it means for us to get together as a church. Um, but, but we will sooner than we know it. Uh, before we know it, we'll, we'll be back together. So it is Mother's Day. Happy Mother's Day. My mom has been tuning in. Mom, thanks for being a great mom and for all the ways that you have cared for me and for my family and continue to care for me and my family and to my wife, Bobby Joe. Thank you for being a great mom to our four kids. And she is the thing that makes our house go round. And uh, so kids, turn to mom and tell her how much you love her and appreciate her. I am not going to talk really specifically to Mother's Day today, but I am going to talk about one of the famous mothers of the Bible. I'm going to talk um, out of the book of Ruth and talk about a mother named Naomi. Now, I am going to be talking the last few weeks. I've been talking about the coronavirus and and this is the last week I'm going to do that, but how it's been impacting us. So two weeks ago was about conflict and Last week was about productivity and just genuinely feeling kind of discombobulated. And this week, I want to talk about anxiety. Anxiety and just the uncertainty of the future, because the longer this goes on, uh, the, the, the less certain resolution seems to be and the more vague resolution seems to be. And the more anxiety can grow when you just don't know when that's going to come. I read a, a quote this week. It was in a, a youth ministry thing about talking to your, your kids and your teenagers about what's going on. And they said that any gap between your expectations and your experience is where you can often find anger, frustration, anxiety, and stress. Any gap between your expectations and your experience is where you find anger, frustration, anxiety, and stress. And I thought that's a helpful way of thinking about anxiety. You know, there's a lot of ways to, to you know, model that and to think about that, but this is one that we can work with. So there's your expectation of what reality is going to be like and then what you're experiencing, and that gap is where you're going to find some frustration and some anxiety. I would add to that 
particularly when it comes to anxiety, that when you've got an expectation and you've got experience and you're, you add to that anticipation and you anticipate that your experience is not going to be able to meet your expectation, then some real anxiety grows. And you start thinking, man, is my expectation wrong? Do I need to change that? How do I get my experience to meet my expectation? What should I be doing differently? Um, what's outside of my control that I can't do anything about? And uh, that that's hard. And right now it's even harder because our, we don't have any idea what to expect with this thing. Like the longer it goes on, the less we know what to expect. And at the beginning, there was an expectation, you know, we'll be, we'll be in this. I thought six weeks, eight weeks, they'll give us the all clear. Well, everybody will get back together. It'll be a big party and we'll all be ready to go. Well, that's not how it's gone and that's not how it's going to go. And so now we don't even know what the gap is. Because we don't know how to form a clear expectation about what reality should be, you know? Now it's, it's Sunday, so Friday we were supposed to go into phase one, so we're in phase one. But honestly, Governor, phase one is what we've all been doing anyway, you know? And so phase one feels kind of the same, and phase two is going to be here in a couple of weeks. And so that's going to be a little bit different, but we're not quite sure how. And, and if the numbers go the wrong way, which we could just start testing people more, and the numbers could go the wrong way, and nothing really changed, we'll go back to phase zero or whatever it is that we've been in. And I've heard from a couple of people that are in the restaurant business that they're not going to open back up like until we're into phase three or four or whatever, because they can eight weeks ago when we shut everything down. And it seems almost certain that this thing is going to return in the fall or the winter. So what do we do with that type of expectation or all of this? You know, it's understandable why some people are experiencing anxiety. I'll be honest with you. I really didn't have and don't have a ton of anxiety about it until I started preaching about it. A few weeks ago, I'm like, really felt like this is what the Lord wanted me to preach about was a few weeks on how we're experiencing the coronavirus. And I didn't feel discombobulated until I preached on that. It was a bad week and I didn't feel anxious (laughs) and I can't wait to not be preaching about this anymore. And and that'll start next week. So, but today I do want to speak to that. I'm not going to tell you anything. I don't think I'm going to tell you anything that you don't know or haven't heard. I'm going to remind you of some things and, and help you keep some things in perspective. But really, I want to deal with this expectation or our inability to form an expectation uh, and replace that with some, some biblical like wisdom and really some biblical expectations that I think can reduce our anxiety and, and really replace that uncertainty with good reason to believe that God is in control and he is at work. And, and so we don't have to be as anxious as, as we might be. So Naomi is found in the book of Ruth in the Old Testament. Ruth, that story happens during the period of the judges. So the beginning of the Israelite nation, the Jewish nation is Abraham. God calls Abraham and Abraham goes to the promised land and he has Isaac and Isaac has Jacob and Jacob has a bunch of kids and they end up down in Egypt for 400 years. And then God tells Moses to go to Pharaoh and they, the Exodus happens. They end up in the desert and Joshua leads them back into the promised land. And eventually they're going to have some Kings, Saul, David, Solomon, and the rest. But there's a period of time where they're ruled by Uh, men and women referred to as judges. And it's during this time that the story of Ruth and Naomi happens. Now, Naomi and her husband Elimelech 
are a Jewish couple, and there's a famine in Israel. So they decide to go to Moab, which is across the Jordan. It's a non-Jewish nation, and they just want to make a go of it and figure out what they can do because there's a famine. And so they go down there with their two sons, and their sons get married and to Orpah and Ruth, and then tragedy strikes, and Elimelech dies, Naomi's husband, and then both of Naomi's sons die. And so Orpah and Ruth are, they're all three of these women are without husbands. And Naomi, the famine is lifted. And so Naomi decides, I'm going back to Israel, but you guys just stay here and, you know, see what, see what happens. Make, make a life for yourself. Maybe find another husband. And the two women, her daughters-in-law are like, no, we're going to go with you. We love you. You know, and she tells them to go back. Orpah ends up tearfully going back. And Ruth makes a declaration of faithfulness that is you know, is, is made famous. And you've heard this before. Ruth said, don't urge me to leave you or to return from following you for where you go. I will go where you lodge. I will lodge your people will be my people, your God, my God, where you die, I will die. And there I will be buried. Uh, that is the definition of faithfulness. You know, uh, may the Lord do so to me and more also of anything, but death parts me from you. And when Naomi saw, she was determined to go with her she said no more. So you've got these two women that are returning from Moab. They're going back to Israel, to Bethlehem, and they're going to see what happens. It's a good setup for a story. You've got some characters. The characters have some backstory. It's a tragic backstory. They're sympathetic characters. You want things to go well for the women, but they're going into a situation where you can't really see how things are going to go well for them, uh, but you want them to make it. You want them to make it, and so you want to see um, what happens? This is, it says the two of them went on until they came to Bethlehem and they came to Bethlehem. The whole town was stirred because of them. And the women of the town said, is this Naomi? Like she's back. And she said, don't call me Naomi, call me Mara for the, and that means bitter in Hebrew. That's what it sounds like for the almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. I went away full and the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi when the Lord has testified against me and the almighty has brought calamity upon me. And so that's a setup and you're just wondering what, what will happen. This is my first point when it comes to our anxiety in the present moment. We like stories that have great tension, but we don't like it when our story has great tension, right? We, we like a good story that's got good tension. We don't know where it's going to go and it's got a surprise twist. We don't like it when our story works like that and there's lots of tension and we don't know where it's going and there's surprise twists. We don't like that. We should expect that there will be tension in our story. It should never surprise us when there is tension in our story. If the setup in between your, your you know, expectation and your experience or experience and expectation is, is always set up that if there's tension, then there's anxiety because you don't want any tension. That's a bad setup because it shouldn't surprise us when there's tension in a story of all people in the world right now, the church, the people of the God of the Bible should not be surprised that there's tension in our cultural story and it should not induce tremendous amounts of anxiety for us. There are a lot of companies it, as a result of the coronavirus that are really suffering. You know, it's a bad time to own airline stock. Uh, a cruise line, like those are going out of business. A restaurant, you know, you hear stories of people that started a restaurant right before this happened. And it's like a lifelong thing and it's, it's bad for them. It's horrible to hear about. You know, sports teams are losing money. If you've got stock in Amazon, you're doing okay. That guy, I read an article that he may become the first trillionaire on the planet, which is, which is 
stinks, but, but it is like, it is what it is. If you got stock in Amazon, you're doing okay. Video game companies are doing really well. Uh, pharmaceutical companies are doing really, really well. And Netflix, Netflix is doing great because we are all binge watching something right now. You know, almost everybody that's, what are you watching? That's one of your conversations. We right now have, have picked up a cop show on Amazon prime called Bosch. And it's set off of a group of Michael Connelly books, apparently. And it's a really good show. And the, the main character, this Harry Bosch detective, is a really compelling character because he's got a backstory and it's a rough backstory. And so you're kind of for him. And he's made some mistakes, but he's owned up to his mistakes as much as he can. And he really doesn't care what anybody thinks about him, even people really close to him. He just wants to get the truth and solve the case and, and you know, justice. He's after justice. And, and sometimes because of that, he's really kind of a jerk to the people close to him. But the way that you get to know him is through his relationship with his daughter is one of those prominent things about the story. So they set this guy up as he's tough, but he's tender, you know? And so you like that. You're for him. And um, there are, you want him to win, uh, but there are a lot of times they're like, dude, you don't, you don't have to be such a jerk about it all the time. And you kind of feel about him a little bit the way you feel about yourself. You know, you want yourself to win, but there are some things you just can't keep yourself from doing. And so it's, it's compelling. And the storylines, there's multiple storylines and you don't know how they intersect or if they intersect. And they have some weird, you know, plot twists and they kill off characters where you're like, I can't believe they just killed that person off. Uh, but they'll do it. So it engages you and you keep watching because there's tension and you want to find out what happens. And at the end of every episode, we're like, oh, can we stay up for one more or do we have to go to bed? Tension is what makes a great story as long as it's not your story. You know, that's how we feel about it. Resolution is what makes our story great, but tension is what makes great the stories that we watch. This week in staff meeting, uh, I think I brought this up and, and Sam brought up some guy that on Instagram is the foster dad flipper. That's his handle. And some of you know exactly who I'm talking about. And others are like me are like, who, what? And so it's this guy, he lives in Charlotte and he is uh, from Uganda, Peter Mutabatsi. And he grew up dirt poor in Kampala, Uganda. Um, he had an abusive father. He left, ran away from home at 10 years old and they let him go, you know, so he's on the streets in the slums of Kampala at 10 years old. And he ends up, someone takes him in, he gets a sponsor. I think it's through world vision, uh, Christian relief organization, and it changes his life. You know, he ends up in the United States. He makes a, a future for himself. And eventually he, becomes a foster dad. He didn't think you could become a single foster dad. This is how Sam finds out about him because people are trying to set Sam up with him because she's a single foster mom. So there you go. Good luck. But she, uh, he, he ends up becoming a foster dad. And then the, the story, and he ended up on Good Morning America for this. He, uh, there was a kid who was maybe 10 or 12 and his adoptive parents abandoned him at a hospital. And so he needed a foster dad and Peter fostered him and then ended up adopting him. And that's what got him in Good Morning America. Because you, you listen to the story and see that Peter and his, his adopted son, Tony, and your heart literally warms up. The Grinch, his heart would, would grow three t- times that day or whatever it is. Like you would literally be warmed by this story. It's a great story. You don't want that story. 
You don't, you might think you want that story, but you don't want that story. You don't want to go through what he had to go through to develop that type of character and to inspire people the way that he inspires people, because that's a hard story. No one wants to be the nothing but the shirt on your back, poor kid in Kampala, who you have to be in order for that story to be your story. Like that's, that's how it works. Great tension makes great stories, but we don't really want that when it happens in our real life. The greatest generation, you know, is inspiring. This is like our, our grandparents or some of you like your grandparents, parents. And so they're inspiring. They're literally passing away before our eyes. And we want to be faithful and steady, like hardworking, like, like these folks were, man, they, they're, they're the greatest generation because they went through the great depression and they fought a war with fascists on either side of the United States. And the beginning of that war didn't look like we could beat either one of them. You know, they're the greatest generation because they lost hundreds of thousands of people from their generation saving the world. I bet if they had the choice of being the greatest generation or not having gone through the Depression and World War II, they would have just chose to be a normal generation that didn't have to go through all that stuff. But great tension makes for great stories. That's just the way that it goes. We are in a moment of great tension. Uh, for us, you know, maybe the, the greatest tension that we've experienced, we don't know what, it's a worldwide global pandemic. Uh, no one seems to be able to figure it out, or we don't know how long it's going to take to develop a vaccine or a cure, or if that's going to be able to happen, if we'll ever get back to normal the way normal was, um, if the economy is going to recover. And, and how, like I saw a report the other day, that it'll be 10 years before we get back to the, the employment rate that we were at pre this whole thing. We have no idea. And the longer it takes, the more it seems like it's going to be a slow drip, you know, like, like we're getting waterboarded as a culture. But maybe that's okay. Maybe great stories require great tension and God is writing a great story out of this great tension. And that's okay. And maybe we should just know that because God has always done that in the past and God is going to work like this in the future. And it's going to turn out you know, God's going to do things. It's going to be worth it in ways that we could never have imagined. We've been here before and we'll be here again. So great, great stories need great tension and we should expect tension in our story. Um, here's my second point. You can't fast forward your story to see how it ends. You can't fast forward your story. You've got to live your story out one day at a time. You're feeling anxiety in this. We want a clear expectation. We want a path. We want resolution. But resolution takes time and takes steps, and we don't like that. That is why we talk about binge-watching stuff. That's why it's a term in our culture. We binge-watch stuff because we are not good at being patient and waiting for things to resolve. We will stay up until four o'clock in the morning and waste the rest of our week so that we can figure out how it resolves because we're not good at this. You cannot binge watch your life. <laughs> it just, that doesn't work that way. And you have to go through that one day at a time. This is why we don't read books anymore because it takes so long to get to the end. You got to go through it one day at a time. This story of Ruth and Naomi goes forward you know, one step at a time. They come back to Bethlehem. They just got to figure out how to eat, you know. Um, it, that, that time in history is not set up real well for two single women uh, to, to make it. Now, there's provision that God puts in the Old Testament law that we'll see here in a second that helps them, but they just got to figure out one day at a time what to do. So it says, Naomi had a relative of her husband's, a worthy man of the clan of Elimelech, her husband, whose name was Boaz. And Ruth said to, Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, 
Let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain after him in whose side I shall find favor. And Naomi said to Ruth, go my daughter. So this is just what you do when you're dirt poor, not where you want to be in life, but where they are. And you got to figure out how to eat that in the old Testament, there is a provision and God tells farmers, when you harvest your field, when you reap the harvest, you're not going to pick up every last bit. You're going to leave some stuff on the edges of the field. Or if it's an olive tree, you're going to leave some stuff on the olive tree or grapevine. You're going to leave some grapes on the vine so that the poor in the land can come and they can pick some food up for themselves and they'll be cared for. And so that's what Ruth does. She goes out to glean on the edges of the field with all the poor that are gleaning. And Boaz, this guy notices Ruth. He asks about her. He hears her backstory. It's a, you know, it's a sympathetic story. And so he's for her and he's like, we got to make sure uh, that they're taken care of. So Boaz says to Ruth, listen, my daughter, don't go glean in another field or leave this one, but keep close to my young women. Let your eyes be on the field that they are reaping. Go after them. Have I not charged the young men not to touch you? And when you are thirsty, go to the vessels and drink what the young men have drawn. And you really get the impression from reading this that bad things can happen in the fields when people are gleaning in the fields. Uh, when we, about the time we started the church, we moved downtown in a little bit rougher part of east downtown. And so we had a lot of people asking us for help all the time. And we knew we weren't getting an accurate picture of what was going on, like story. And I came to realize over time, like if I was trying to figure out how to feed my kids, you know, and didn't know where dinner was going to come from, I would probably tell you whatever I thought you needed to hear to get what I needed to feed my kids. I'd probably lie through my teeth. Hopefully I wouldn't, but I can see how people do that in that situation. When you have people struggling to survive, they don't always follow all the rules. And this is the situation that Ruth is in. I mean, it's kind of a precarious place to be gleaning at the edge of the field. And Boaz takes care of her. It says that she rose to glean and Boaz instructed his young men saying, let her glean even among the sheaves. Do not reproach her. Also pull out some from the bundles for her and leave it for her to glean. <laughs> He's really taking care of her and do not rebuke her. So she's got an advocate. Someone's pulling the strings behind the scenes. Uh, to be honest, Ruth, Ruth is kind of like the Hallmark Channel of the Bible. Okay, this story starts and you see Ruth and then you see Boaz. You're like, oh, those two end up together. I don't know how, but you just know how the story ends because that's how Hallmark movies work. I honestly thought, just in my whole premise of this thing, that great stories need great tension and this is what we want, but not in our lives. Then I thought, well, there's the Hallmark channel and there's not great tension in those stories. And so what does that mean? And that just, just a sermon for another sermon for another day. Okay, fair point, but I don't know. And then the other day, we were, they were watching the Hallmark channel at my house and people were shooting guns in the Hallmark stuff. And so even the Hallmark channel is going to the dark side. So there's that. Now you can't, this, they have to go step by step. You cannot fast forward your story. You've got to go through whatever you're going to go through to get to resolution. You have to be faithful to what's right in front of you. Uh, when the expectation isn't clear for down the road, you just got to take whatever the next step is. And that involves honestly resetting expectation from here's what I want it to be six months from now to here's what it looks like for me to be faithful today. You know, here's what it looks like for me to be grateful to how God has provided. Give us this day our daily bread. Pick up your cross today and follow me. You have to live day by day in times like this. And part of why God tells us to do that is because he knows there's tension, but it doesn't have to lead to anxiety. You know, you don't have to worry about all that. God's got that taken care of 
be present today and be faithful today. Ruth was faithful to Naomi. Um, Ruth didn't have to do that. Ruth had options. And those options gave her more control. And she entered into this position of faithfulness to what she felt like the Lord wanted her to do. But that put her in a pretty precarious position where she just had to trust day by day that God was going to take care of it. Now, that doesn't mean just sitting back and letting it all come to you because Ruth and Naomi make some fairly aggressive moves in this story. (laughs) Uh, Naomi at one point says to her, my daughter, should I not seek rest for you? Uh, let me set you up that it may be well with you. Is not Boaz our relative with whom, with whose young woman you were? See, he is winnowing barley tonight on the threshing floor. Wash, therefore, and anoint yourself. Put on your cloak and go down to the threshing floor, but do not make yourself known to the man until he's finished eating and drinking. But when he lies down, observe the place where he lies. Then go and uncover his feet and lie down, and he will tell you what to do. And Ruth said, all that you say, I will do. I've never totally understood this custom, but it's, it's like part of the Jewish culture at the time. It's this custom where you would, if you're, you know, seeking relationship with this guy, you go to lay down at his feet. So she tells her to get, to get herself cleaned up. You know, she's been gleaning in the fields, take a bath, put on some perfume, (laughs) uh, do your hair, whatever it is. And then, uh, wait till Boaz has had a good meal and a few drinks and goes to sleep. And then uncover his feet and lay down on his feet. Now, apparently, uh, Boaz isn't totally clear on this custom because it says at midnight, the man was startled and turned over and behold, a woman lay at his feet. Like, what is this? But that's how it works. And there's no indication that anything inappropriate happens, but Boaz has already expressed interest in her and realizes she's interested in him. And so he takes the step, the next step, but he takes the next step in, in absolutely the right way. He doesn't try and manipulate the situation. He just takes the next step and doesn't take shortcuts. And that's, that's just where we are. We can't fa- fast forward uh, what we're going through. It's going to have to play out. We're going to have to stick together and endure it. And what happens in these times, and, and maybe it happens better when you're not so anxious about the future, but you're just focused on the day, uh, is that we, we realize we have something in us that we didn't realize we had in us. You know, we realize that we've got more strength than we realize that we have, that we have more ingenuity than we realize that we have, that we can adapt better than we thought we could adapt because maybe we've gotten too comfortable in our old circumstance. And um, I don't know, I read someone said this years ago, people don't change until the pain of staying the same is greater than the pain of change. <laughs> and sometimes we need to be pushed to change. And this may be one of those. What happens in these situations is relationships are forged and shaped in ways that they need to be, that they wouldn't have been under normal circumstances. The next series that we're going to do, we're going to do with a number of churches, and this has been at the plan for six months now, is a series called The Art of Neighboring. And we're going to talk about what it looks like, not just to be a neighbor to, to anybody, but to be a neighbor to the people that God has put us in proximity of, the people right around you, and especially during this time, and, and how God wants to use this to develop those relationships. Scott Haith was talking to me about um, his neighborhood. And he said the Five Points neighborhood can be a little bit, a little bit snooty, you know? And so people don't walk a lot. And when they do, they don't look up and they don't talk. But he said, that's all changed. Like everybody's out walking and everybody's talking to each other in part because they're so desperate for relationship. And so Scott's wondering, is this going to go back to the way that it was? Or will real change happen as a result of that? And trying to be a part of making real change happen. We got to pay attention to just the next step 
and to what God's doing in the next step and make sure we don't miss what God is doing right in front of us. So we have to expect tension in our story. We got to live out that story one day at a time. And often we can't see where a resolution is going to come from. In so many stories, I could have picked a hundred stories from the Bible to preach this message from because in so many stories, it just seems like all hope is gone and we have no idea where the resolution is going to come from. But God has been at work the whole time. He's been at work the whole time. We don't know how this thing resolves. We don't know if someone's coming up with a vaccine, if there's an antibody, something or other, if there's a cure, if it just goes away, whatever. We don't know, but God knows, and we have to trust that he is at work. Ruth, in her situation, is she's from Moab. She doesn't know the, the Old Testament. Like, she doesn't know the Israelite law, the customs. And so this whole thing about a kinsman redeemer has got to be new to her. Uh, but in Israel, when a guy passed away, um, his brother, if his brother's not married, marries his wife to continue the family name and to keep the land, the inheritance in the family. And so when a guy dies, it's the, the closest brother gets the, the right of first refusal on his stuff. And if it's not a brother, then it's a family member that gets the chance to do that. Boaz is like a second cousin. So there's someone closer that can redeem the land and redeem the relationships. And and Boaz realizes that and needs to do something about it. If this was a Hallmark movie, this is the other guy. Like every Hallmark movie, there's a girl and there's two guys. And you're always afraid she's going to end up the wrong guy, but you're not really. But this is the other guy. There's Boaz, who's the right guy. And there's this guy who's the other guy. So Boaz gets all the guys together. It says he took 10 men of the elders of the city and said, sit down. So they sat down. And then he said to the redeemer, the closest relative, Naomi, who has come back from the country of Moab, is selling the parcel of land that belonged to our relative Elimelech. So I thought I would tell you of it and say, buy it in the presence of those sitting here and in the presence of the elders of my people. If you will redeem it, redeem it. But if you will not tell me that I may know, for there is one besides you to redeem it. And I'm next in line after you. So here's the moment of tension, the hallmark moment of tension in this story. Like, what's the guy going to do? Is he going to redeem it? Is uh, Ruth going to end up with the right guy or the wrong guy? And the guy says, I will redeem it. You're like, oh, this messes up the whole thing, you know, but just wait because God knows how to tell a story. And then Boaz said, the day you buy the field from the hand of Naomi, you also acquire Ruth, the Moabite, who I don't think that's a, a good thing for them the widow of the dead, in order to perpetuate the name of the dead in his inheritance. And then the Redeemer said, and there's a drum roll, intense music, and he says, I cannot redeem it for myself, lest I impair my own inheritance. Take my right of redemption yourself, for I cannot redeem it. And so the guy gets the girl, or the girl gets the guy, or whatever it is. Um, it, it resolves. There's resolution. And, and they, she couldn't have seen where that was coming from when she came back to the land. We don't know. We don't know how this is going to end up. We don't know how we're going to look back on this six weeks from now or six months from now or six years from now and how this has shaped us. But we can have faith and we can have lots of hope that God is going to use for good what right now we consider evil because that's what God does in story after story after story in the Bible, right? Abraham when he went to the promised land, didn't know how it was going to resolve. When he took Isaac up on Mount Moriah, didn't know how that was going to resolve. But God 
resolved it. Uh, Jacob didn't know when he left and went to Laban to find his wife and wives and then came back and was that whole time scared to death that Esau was going to kill him. Had no idea that Esau had gotten over that thing years ago and he didn't need to worry all that because God had already taken care of it. Joseph had no idea when he gets sold into slavery and then thrown into prison and then forgotten about in prison, then becomes the prime minister of Egypt. And then his brothers show up. He had no idea the whole time that God was at work. But we know that. We know that because God has shown us that the whole time. So expect that there's going to be tension in your story, right? Whether that has anything to do with the coronavirus or just other stuff that's going on in your life right now, don't be surprised. Don't be surprised. Don't inoculate yourself from the tension in your story. Maybe go looking for some tension because that's where the good stuff is. Go get some tension in your life. You have a choice how to respond to the tension in your story. And that can be anxiety, but it doesn't have to be anxiety. It could be something that you know it's going to build your faith, or you can even get to a point where it builds some anticipation because you can't wait to see how God is going to work. Live faithfully today. Pick up your cross today and follow after Jesus. And really, spend some time with him. Pour out your heart about this stuff with him today. Love the people around you today. If you've got family in your house, love your kids well today. Reach out to the people near you today. Help the folks with their physical or financial needs today. And don't spend too much time thinking about tomorrow or next week or phase three or six months from now or whenever. And remember God's faithfulness. God knows all sorts of things that we have no idea about. Like I said, there's a hundred stories in the Bible that I could have chosen from because God is an expert at complex solutions. And there are hundreds of stories probably in your own life or your family's life that you could choose from to look back on times where like it's always darkest just before the dawn comes where you didn't know how things were going to resolve, but God resolved them in a way that only God could resolve them. And really, take some time, take some time today. Remember those stories. Remember those stories as a family about times when God called you to something and you didn't know how that was going to work out, but it worked out and God did something. Um, Make a list. I did that this week of times that God showed up in unexpected ways because he's not going to do that every single day. You know, one of the the things I thought about was a couple years ago and a tough conversation I was going to have and... That morning, someone that I, they'd moved away five years before, and it was of a, the couple that moved away is the guy, I didn't even talk to the guy hardly, and he sends me this video of a sermon. He never emailed me in his life. He's like, you know, I was praying for you. I was praying this morning. God put you on my mind and said to send you this sermon. It was exactly what I needed for that conversation. Man, I want God to do that every single day. God doesn't do that every single day, but God does that, and we need to remember his faithfulness. The... Um, I want to finish with this. The cross is the best example of an out-of-the-blue solution in the Bible. You know, when Jesus dies on Good Friday, they think all is lost. There's lots of tension and anxiety involved in that moment. And in that, Jesus has told them, like if there's experience and there's expectation, he's tried to shape their expectation. He tells them a few times, I'm going to die and then I'm going to rise again. So when you experience that, don't freak out about it. And they totally blow them off, you know, and they experience tension and anxiety in that moment. But God knows what the solution is going to be. And throughout the Bible, he's always known what the solution was going to be. Even this story 
with Ruth and Boaz is woven into that story. Like every story in the Bible is woven into that story. Ruth and Boaz get married and they have a kid named Obed and Obed has a kid named Jesse and Jesse has a kid named David. And King David is the one that gets the promise that one from his line, his heritage is going to sit on the throne of Israel forever. And that's talking about Jesus and his kingdom. And it's the, the messianic prophecy that comes through David only happens because of the story of Ruth and Boaz and their faithfulness in that. And God wove the whole thing together in the genealogy of Jesus in the book of Matthew. So it's right in the beginning of the book of Matthew. And it's the part of the, you know, a couple of gospels have these where it says, this guy had a kid named this, who had a kid named this, who had a kid named this. And you just, after four of them, you're like, I don't know why this is in here. But in that genealogy, there are four women listed and women are not listed in Jewish genealogies. It is a total aberration for them to be in that genealogy. And these four women should not be listed in that genealogy because of their backstory. Like it's scandalous to put these in the genealogy of the savior of the world. But Tamar, uh, is in there because she has a kid by her father-in-law. That's a story. Go, go find that and read it. Um, uh, Rahab is a prostitute who hides the spies. Bathsheba is the one who David kills her husband and then has an affair with her. Um, and he, she is in the line of Jesus. And you've got Ruth, who is fantastic, but she's from Moab, and she's not supposed to be in the genealogy of Jesus. And those are all a way of God saying, I'm going to use the most unexpected, tension-filled, anxiety-inducing episodes in the Old Testament to bring about your salvation, because that's how God works. That's how God works. And so he is in control in this situation. And whatever it is that you're going through right now, he is in control of your situation. Now, if you are experiencing this and man, it's just hard and you want someone to talk to, we would love to, to do that for you. You can email me, jeff at oakcitychurch.com. You can fill out the connect card um, and let us know how we can pray for you. If, uh, if you want to meet and talk about how you're experiencing this, I would love to do that or set you up with someone through our Stephen ministry that can meet with you and help you out. Um, but I hope that God speaks to you uh, through this and that you will be reminded of his faithfulness. Father, thanks for, um, for any, any number of stories that I could have used uh, for your reminders, Lord. I don't know why. I, I don't know why we are so prone to anxiety, Lord. I don't know why we are so prone to forget when you show your faithfulness over and over and over again in story after story after story in the Bible, in story after story after story in our lives, God. But I pray that you would be bigger in our minds than our circumstances around us that we're going through. I pray that we would come out of this morning with anticipation that you are going to work and you are at work in big ways, Lord. And we would anticipate that and look for you. And we love you and we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.